All right, so if you're not there already, open up your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Today is Palm Sunday. So it's the day beginning the week that we call Passion Week that leads to the Friday where we reflect on and remember and talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then, of course, on Sunday, we celebrate what? The resurrection of Jesus. So we call it Easter Sunday. And so I hope you'll be here next week and you'll bring somebody. You know, it's interesting because this time of the year, people typically will accept an invite from you to church. And our church's approach is going to be primarily, hey, we want for you to invite people that you're in ongoing relationships with already. And so on my Facebook feed, I don't know about yours, but I'm getting like 10 church promotions a day for Easter. And everybody's promoting this. We have Easter egg hunt, and we are going to have an Easter egg hunt. It's absolute pandemonium, and it's a lot of fun. You know, we're, we want you to dress up, bring your family, and bring your friends, and all that kind of stuff. And it occurs to me, especially when I get them from churches that are like 25 miles out of the city, it occurs to me that what I hope for you and my prayer for you is, and what I'm going to do is use the work of my lips to invite people that I'm in relationship already. And so I hope that we'll have guests here next week, and most of them will come as a result of you inviting them. Now, there are some of you that are guests, and the, your attendance today is because you found us on Google. Give it up for Google. And so I'm down with that. That's cool. God uses it all. But what I'm saying to you is that the philosophy of this church and discipleship is that you would live the gospel in your places of work and where you live and where you play. And so that's the hope and the desire of our church. I love Houston. Raise your hand if you love Houston. Raise your hand if you're from outside of Houston. Most of you are outside of Houston, which is awesome. I learned a long time ago not to brag about how great Texas is because many of you are not from Texas and that annoys you. I didn't grow up in Texas, but have you seen the bumper sticker that says, I didn't grow up in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could? Um, That is kind of how I feel. Houston's amazing. I mean, Houston is an amazing city, but one of the downsides to living in this city is what? Traffic. Amen. We're in one accord. The Spirit's working this morning. It's traffic. So Jeannie and I and our kids happen to live right across from 59. I mean, literally, we go to bed at night with the sound of cars driving down the freeway. It's very city. It's classic. Like if you watch a movie where they're in the city, where there's honking and there's ambulances and all that kind of stuff. That's where we live. And that's how we go to sleep. So right across the street from our house is the wall for 59. And, and on occasion, like yesterday, we uh, are walking. Like we'll walk to the ballpark with the kids it's a couple blocks away. We feel very city. I drink, take my coffee with me, you know, and uh, say hello to the neighbors and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, so we walk across, and we have to walk across the bridge in, in, uh, for 59, okay? So when you walk across the bridge, we look down, and what do we see? Traffic, always. I mean, there's always traffic. It's complete chaos. It's pandemonium. And I live up there. Now imagine this. Imagine if I was walking yesterday enjoying holding hands with my beautiful, amazing wife and seeing my kids frolic down the road, going towards uh, a baseball game that we're going to get to watch and we'll get to see friends and family. And it's a time of peace and joy. And imagine that I walk across the bridge and I see all that traffic and I immediately turn around, I go get in my truck and I go and find the nearest on-ramp to the freeway just to get into the chaos. What would you think about me? You you cray cray. (laughs) You are a fool. Why? Because people typically do not enter chaos willingly, right? People do not typically go from place of peace and serenity and hope and joy to 
willingly subject themselves to places of chaos. I would not do that. You would not do that. Most of you avoid difficulty at all costs. Now, sure, as I was writing this, I was thinking those of you that do things like marathons or triathlon or CrossFit or some kind of intense working out or some other kind of thing, and you think to yourself, no, I love the intense things. I love the difficult things. I love getting in there. And I'm with you at some level on that. But as a general rule for your life, you don't always go looking for the most difficult relationship, do you? If you do, you need counseling. Uh, as a general rule for your life, you don't look for the most difficult situation at work, do you? No, of course not. I mean, you're looking for something where there's some form of peace or some, at, at least you can see how things work out together in a good way. Here is the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus willingly entered the mess. This is one thing about the gospel that ought to move our hearts and blow our minds. God became man in the form of this man. He left a place with all the privilege, all the peace, all the power to enter the mess and chaos of humanity so that you and I could be reconciled to God. Philippians chapter 2 in the message version says this, Jesus had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. And of course, he was also fully divine. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Here is the the astounding thing about what we are celebrating and thinking about this week is that to change the world, Jesus enters the city, our lives, and problems in surprising ways. God chose to become man, to enter into the mess. And I've never been one to stand up here and report the news and all that's wrong with our world and all that's going on bad. I'm not going to do that. But you can think of something that's an illustration of how messed up, jacked up our world is. Jesus willingly was born into that. So in Matthew chapter 21, we enter into the life of Jesus at the beginning of the last week of his life. It's interesting because one quarter of all that's said about Jesus in the Gospels is is the last week of his life. So the entire narrative of the scripture is pointing to this place that is more generally the last week of his life, which is why one quarter of what's talked about him in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is all about the last week of his life, okay? So it's everything's kind of coming to this point in this last week. Of course, it's gonna come to the point of the cross and then really crescendo in the moment of the resurrection. So this is called the triumphal entry or palm Sunday. It is going to be a location, a week where he is celebrated, but then he is left alone. It's going to be a place of chaos. It's going to be a place where there's harsh treatment, unfair treatment. And Jesus willingly goes there. Luke chapter 10, it says that Jesus sets his mind like a flint towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows what's going to happen there. So here we have Jesus, he's going to Jerusalem, and it's during a time of religious celebration for the Jews called Passover. 
So Passover is a time of the year where the, the city swells and people come together and it's a religious ceremony. And um, what we're going to see here, one of the things that we're going to see is that Jesus goes directly to the areas that need change. First of all, he goes to Jerusalem at a time where it's very populated. Then in Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, which is the religious center of the city. And then in the temple, he immediately goes to the religious elite. And then he goes directly to the heart of the worshiper. Come on. I mean, I'm getting excited because this is what Jesus does. He goes directly to the areas that need change. Some of you need change this morning. You need change in your world, in your home, in your heart. You need a change of understanding of who Jesus is, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. So look here at verse 21. So now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, so Jesus is with a group of his disciples, people that have traveled with him from Galilee. They came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. And before he entered Jerusalem, he sends two of his disciples. Verse 2 says, go into the village in front of you, immediately bring, uh, immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. That, by the way, would be a good thing for you. If you ever need anything at the store and somebody says, no, that's mine, just say, the Lord needs them. See what happens. It would be really awesome. Tell your kids that, like if your kids, you and your, there's one cupcake left and you're both approaching the counter and, uh, and they say it's mine, you say, no, the Lord needs them and they carry them into your bedroom and have at it. Okay, just a little hint for you. All right, so the Lord needs them. Jesus does this. He can do it. He's God. And he will send them at once. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, now don't miss this because what's happening here isn't just some event that's recorded in history. It's actually some event that's been prophesied hundreds of years before. So this took place to fulfill what the prophet was, uh, was spoken by the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. That comes out of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. It's talking about the Messiah. And so many years prior to this event actually happening, it's prophesied that it's going to happen. And the prophet Daniel prophesies in Daniel chapter 9, you can read it later, Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, that the Messiah would come 500 years later, and this event in history that Jesus is participating in is 500 years after the prophecy of Daniel. I mean, say what you want about the Bible. You might not believe that it's inspired and errant in God's Word, But we believe that the written word of God reveals the living word of God, Jesus. And one reason we think that it's unique is because of prophecies that are in the Bible. Amen. Thank you. All right. So Jesus was not entering Jerusalem alone. He was with a group of people. He was accompanied by this group of close followers from Galilee. I don't know if you're excited. I am. You know, honestly, I don't care if you are because, you know, I'm I'm with it right now. Okay. So I do care if you are. Sorry. my wife later would be like, you know, you should really care that they're with you. Otherwise, you're a terrible preacher. I want you to be with me. Okay, so they were excited to travel with him, but they did not fully comprehend who he was. And one reason that they were excited to travel with him is because they saw him do some miracles in their hometown. So they're excited about Jesus. They don't fully comprehend who he is. And so they're ready to give him a king's procession into Jerusalem. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as the Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, what you should know is this is not the normal procession for a king. A normal procession for a king in this day was riding in on a horse as a conqueror. But Jesus rides in on a beast of burden. And the colt that followed was a symbol of peace. But even so, the crowd wanted to celebrate him as the conquering king. 
So they spread their cloaks on the ground, and they cut palm branches and spread them on the road, which is a traditional welcome for a visiting king. And as they're going alongside him, they're saying these words, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. These words come out of Psalm chapter 118, verse 26. And the word Hosanna means save us, we pray. They're celebrating Jesus as a conquering king. And so when he entered Jerusalem, the scripture says in verse 10 that the whole city was stirred, which means that it was wild with excitement. Now keep this in mind because just five days later, Jesus will be alone, suffocating after being beaten brutally, crucified on a cross. But on this day, the city is celebrating him with wild excitement. And so those that do not yet know Jesus, and he did not do a lot of ministry in Jerusalem up to this point, those that did not yet know Jesus begin to ask, who is this? This guy's really popular. Who is this? And the crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We think this is the anticipated Messiah, is what they're saying. We think this is the one promised by God, talked about it by the prophets, that was going to come and deliver us. And so this event marks the presentation of Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel as the rightful son of David. But here's the thing. Jesus is who he is, not who people might want him to be. Let me say that again. Jesus is who he is, not who people might want him to be. One of the most astounding realities of the Christian faith is how people misunderstand the person and work of Jesus. Like this crowd on Palm Sunday talked about in this passage. Some people project onto Jesus who they want them to be for their own lives. They projected upon Jesus this, this image or person of a conquering king because they themselves were suffering from economic realities. So they wanted an earthly deliverer. And so they saw what Jesus did and they said, that's the one. This is the one that's going to come and deliver us from oppression. And so when he came into the city and they began celebrating him, they weren't celebrating him for who he is. They were celebrating him and worshiping him for who they wanted him to be. This is why they eagerly praised him. It's no different in our day. People want Jesus to be who they need in that moment, in that day. And in our day, most people live as if Jesus is the thing that can take their lives from 75% satisfaction to 100% satisfaction or 90% satisfaction. So I add Jesus onto my life. Just enough of Jesus to make me feel better about myself, make me feel about, better about my day. Jesus is a great add-on. I'm going to add him on to my already somewhat normal functioning life. But that is essentially telling Jesus, this is who I want you to be, so this is who you are, and it's got to kind of work out from there. Or some people misunderstand who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is the leader of a religious movement, and so they project onto Jesus what they perceive is a religious leader, and they then choose maybe not even to want religion, so they reject Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus is who he is. 
He's not who people might want him to be. And that's frustrating to us because we all have needs. We all have a sense of what we need for our lives. But God became man in the form of a flesh for what we need, not always what we want or think we need. Jesus is who he is, not who we want him to be. And he has been that way since before the foundation of the world. So it's not like I get to this point in my life where I'm struggling. Okay, I need the part of Jesus that can just encourage me today. I mean, that may happen, but it doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is who he is, not who we want him to be. Those early week celebrators were thinking that they needed an earthly king, but what they really needed was an eternal rescuer. They needed somebody to die on a cross to pay a payment for their sins that they cannot pay for themselves. That's what they needed. We begin to see who Jesus really is. They begin to see who Jesus really is. And you know what happened? They were disturbed by it. They were shocked by it. It stirred disillusionment in them. They expected a conquering king, but instead he came on the beast of burden. And the first place he goes is to the center of the city where religious life was supposed to happen. And what he would have done if he were an earthly king trying to set up a kingdom is he would have parlayed his influence to win the religious leaders. But instead what he does is he goes into the temple and he makes them very, very mad. Jesus goes to the heart of people and he works to get rid of anything that hinders the authentic worship of a holy God. This is what Jesus does. And when you see him for who he is, you will more fully understand this and embrace this and submit to this reality. Jesus goes to the heart and he turns the tables on whatever is preventing you or keeping you from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make a den of robbers. So let me, let me give you a little bit of explanation here, because you're like, wow, Jesus sounds upset. What's the deal? They're just selling t-shirts and Christian books in the church. What's the big deal? We do it here. By the way, my book is for selling Amazon, livingconnectedbook.com, whatever. Okay, so as a part of Jewish worship in the temple, animals were sacrificed for purchase in Jerusalem. And so the problem that Jesus had is that these people were requiring people to exchange their money for a certain type of temple money. They were charging extra tax. So the people that were selling these objects for worship or these animals that were a part of their Jewish worship were cheating those worshipers. And so, and there's some scholars that believe that they were also allowing uh, non-Jews to go into a part of the temple that was only for Jewish people. Jesus had a problem with it. Why did he have a problem with it? He says, because my house should be called a house of prayer. It's a sp- this is a spiritual place for connection with God. And you've made it a den of robbers. So the temple was no longer about worship. It had become about something else. And in this instance, it had become about making money. Jesus had a problem with this. Why? Because Jesus enters the chaos and he goes right to the heart of anything that's going to keep someone from worshiping God. Really worshiping God. And these people were probably just trying to make a little extra money. I mean, they're, right, they're struggling, right? I mean, they're having a hard time. I mean, it just makes sense. Their immediate need was money, and so they saw a way to make money. But you see, Jesus isn't who we want always 
or who we think we need always. He is who he is. And who Jesus is, is he is the one that will, that will do anything, even lay his life down on a cross so that we can connect fully and wholly and authentically with God. This was happening in the temple, and Jesus had a problem with it. Jesus could have parlayed his influence to build an earthly kingdom, but instead what he does is goes right to the religious leaders, makes them mad, shocks them to get at the heart of it. And as if he hadn't made them mad enough, verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So all the while, these religious leaders were looking quite religious and getting rich off of this system, The blind and the lame are struggling and suffering. And so Jesus goes to the heart of the most needy in the temple, and he heals them. And the chief priests and the scribes saw these things that Jesus did, and they had a problem with it. And one of the reasons they had a problem with it is because there were children in the temple. Some of these children were probably at the age where they were going to be learning about what it means to be really Jewish. And they saw this man turning over tables, disrupting their the way of worship in the temple. They saw this man healing the blind and healing the lame. And and they were concerned maybe, and not only for the perception of these kids about what true religion is, but about this leader, potential leader taking over their power. And the children began to cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the religious leaders were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise. Jesus enters the chaos. He enters the city. He enters the place that's most needy, and he disrupts it. Why? Because Jesus is about making worshipers. Let me tell you something. Jesus isn't just about being added onto your already pretty good life. Jesus isn't an option added on to the base model of your life to make it like an LX. Jesus is the way to life. We can lose sight of that. And what Jesus does by coming into Jerusalem at Passover and what Jesus does by coming into this place in these words of Scripture And by entering into our week is that Jesus goes to the place that needs the greatest change. What is that in you? And Jesus is who he says he is. Not just what we want him to be. And so if you're trying to to shape Jesus into something that kind of fits onto your life so that you can keep being about your own stuff and keep, for some of you, reveling in sin... Jesus said, that didn't work like that. I'm going to turn those tables. You can't do sex the way that you want to do and also me be the center of your life. You have to do it God's way. You can't do business the way that you want to do where it sometimes lacks integrity and can be unethical and you feel like you have to do it that way just to survive and then at the same time have me at the center of your life. Jesus comes in and he turns those tables and he says, I want your heart. I want you That's the why Jesus enters the chaos. And your biggest problem, in addition to 
uh, those smaller problems that are the way you tend to function every single week is this, is that if you are not a follower of Christ, you're separated from God because of your sin. This is why God entered the chaos, because God loves you, and he demonstrates his love for you by becoming flesh and laying his life down on the cross so that you can, through repentance and faith, be reconciled to him and really experience life. And once you embrace that and understand that, then you will know that to add, just try to add Jesus onto your life to move you from the base package to a little nicer writing version is completely ridiculous. Jesus enters into the most needy areas of our heart. He enters into the most needy areas of our city. He enters into the most needy areas all around us to turn things upside down so that people could be made into worshipers of God. Why? Because God deserves the worship. He deserves the glory. And the happiest you'll be, and the most fulfilled you'll be, no matter your circumstances on earth, no matter how impoverished you are like those first century Jews, no matter what's going on around you, the happiest you'll be, the most at peace you'll be, the most purpose-filled you'll be is when you say, Jesus, enter into my life. Turn any tables upside down that you need to. Rid it from all the junk and the mess so that I can fully worship you. That is the Christian gospel. And I'm sorry for the messages that exist out there about Jesus from guys that stand in positions like mine that make it anything less than that. That's a tragedy. So what is the area of your life where Jesus needs to enter the chaos? Will you let him? I say that with hesitation because here's the thing about Jesus. Nobody invited him to the table. He went. And in my experience, that area of your heart that is in most need of Jesus to take over and to rule and to reign and to turn the tables, he will get in there. You may fight it and resist it for a long time and cause yourself a lot of pain and suffering and sorrow and heartache. But he'll get in there if God wills it. So why not just welcome him in? God, enter into my my marriage. God, enter into my parenting. Jesus, turn the tables on my selfishness and my pride and my lust. Jesus, turn the table... And, and on my fear, because I'm so fearful to just speak the gospel to the people in my life that don't know Jesus. What is that area for you? And you say, that's scary. You know, that's one of the wonderful things about the church is we get to all leave finally go, we've all got those areas. I got them. There are areas in my life where I've tried to kind of keep Jesus out, and Jesus is like, I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to turn that table. And you might get angry, and you might kick and scream and holler and flail and try to compensate in different ways, but I'm going to get in there. Why? Because Jesus is making worshipers of a holy God. What is the area for your life? Let's, let's think on this and pray and respond to this, okay? So would you just bow your head? God, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus entered the mess, entered the chaos. We do not tend to do that, Lord. But you did because of your great love for us. And I thank you for that. So I pray, God, that your spirit would work. We're trusting you. We're 
We're not trying to manufacture a response. We just want your Holy Spirit to work so there's authentic response in this place. We just love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name.